Hi everyone, this is Working Title, the podcast where we, four intrepid, handsome, intelligent, and entirely fraudulent reviewers, watch and review IMDb's top 250 English language movies as of November 2019, going from bottom to top. So watch along with us, and... Yeah, he's just screaming. Just step away from the mic. All right, I'm staying back. Oh, Jesus. All right, yeah, let's let's do this. Let's let's All talk right. about some movies. Um, let's see if I remember how to even do an intro because last time we did this was two and a half months ago. Well, what we do is we watch the top 250 movies of all time. Mm. English language movies, as rated by the good people of IMDb. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another week or so of Working Titles, a podcast <laughs> where we review the top 250 English language movies as rated by the good people of IMDb. Um, so we're back again after watching The Sound of Music last week or so. And... Um, <laughs> This Time is, is relative. This is uh, movie number 31 for us, so we're kind of moving along here. Uh, watching the 1988 movie Rain Man, starring Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. Fuck. <laughs> Not a big Hoffman guy. Uh, directed by Barry Levinson. And... Um, yeah, overall, I think this is one of those movies that even if you haven't seen, um, you are familiar with it. It has permeated the sort of uh, zeitgeist and the fact, you know, and anyone who's good at counting will get called Rain Man at some point in their lives. Um, so what's it about? Um, it's kind of a, a sibling drama as Tom Cruise, who plays kind of an up, you know, an asshole-ish yuppie. Uh, discovers he has a brother who um, is a savant um, and their kind of journey in a literal sense together. But we'll get into that in a second. Um, now, before we get into this, we like to introduce ourselves. We like to have a prompt and just to kind of get uh, get things going. Um, so this is actually the second movie with Tom Cruise we've seen uh, after Magnolia a few weeks ago. And our prompt today is if you could replace tom cruise in every movie he's been in with one actor or actress who would it be and i'll go first my name's jack um if i were to replace tom cruise this is a tough choice but i think i have to go with if i had to replace tom cruise in every role he's been in it would be with owen wilson nice i like that one damn that's good (laughs) wow Wow. Right. I, I am dangerous. <laughs> I'm just trying to fly this plane, man. You're so dangerous. <laughs> I, I want the truth, man. That's all. <laughs> Did you order that code red? <laughs> oh, man. That's a good all one. Right. That movie is not on our list, by the way. Um, really? Yeah. Huh. All right, Mike, who you got? All right. So my name is Mike. And if I were to replace Tom Cruise, I would probably go with either Jason Statham or <laughs> hmm, maybe even better Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
No, oh, I was thinking Dan, Arnold. No, no, Danny DeVito. That's the Danny one. Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> if if someone doesn't say my the other one I was thinking of, I'm going to come back for it at the end because I, I don't want to leave this one on the table. <laughs> Just, I DeVito. want to watch Danny DeVito walking across the tarmac in full flight gear, trying to high five uh, six five goose. <laughs> Uh, hello, my name is Shane, and I was really torn, but I'm going to lead off with my first thought and then my second one. So the first one was Willem Dafoe. Right, right, right. <laughs> and my second, which I think I've used in another prompt, that's why I didn't do it, was Tommy Wiseau. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just to see him at Top Gun alone. Or, it's always, the only movie uh, we're all going for is Top Gun. We just want to watch a remake a few of Top good Gun. Men. I'd love to see him grill Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I don't know, man. I want to see Danny DeVito in The Last Samurai. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, June. All right, I'm June. Uh, my Tom Cruise 2.0 would be Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, I was thinking of that one. <laughs> I was inverted. <laughs> What's the deal with all these planes? <laughs> just, just to look back at this one. This, this was a close one for me. I, I really wanted to pick this person, but I can't even attempt to do an impersonation of, of them. But if I were to replace Tom Cruise in every movie Tom Cruise has ever been in. I would also do it with Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> In the last samurai. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. <laughs> even, in, even in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> oh, there's just so many good choices. The, Danny DeVito one. would be great in Magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, I think I think we're gonna have a lot more to say about Tom Cruise. Um, yeah, definitely. So, like we said, this is kind of a sibling drama, and I think most people are probably at least, even if they haven't seen the movie, at least a little familiar with sort of the the structure and trappings of this movie. Um, but why don't you tell us what happens in this movie, Mike? Starts with uh, Charlie Babbitt, who's in the middle of uh, importing a bunch of Lamborghinis um, from overseas. Uh, kind of like the gray market Lamborghinis. Uh, he's bringing them to Los Angeles for resale, and he's taken out some loans on these cars. And the EPA has halted the shipment at the dock, and they're not releasing the vehicles until they pass emissions, which is causing his impatient customers to kind of um, start to try to pull out of the deal. So he's this group he has going out of a warehouse. It's him, uh, his partner, whose name was Charlie, and his girlfriend, Susanna. So they're running kind of this small operation importing these these um, Lamborghinis. Um, so they lie to the clients and buys them a little bit more time. And he takes Susanna to go, I think, like on a long weekend or something like that. Um, it's apparent that not Charlie. Sorry. Charlie's the, the main character. His partner's name. I don't care. So Charlie and Susanna <laughs> leave. And uh, they're they're on this road trip going out to the, the country or something like that. And it's it's apparent that Charlie has a lot going on in his mind. He's kind of a distant, um, as I think, I think as Shane said. No, as, as Jack's. Somebody said that he's kind of an asshole. Um, that's his character at the beginning. He's, he's very self-centered, um, kind of a, a, a jerk to everybody, including his girlfriend. Uh, so 
On the way out, he gets a phone call and he finds out that his father, who has kind of been estranged to him, uh, they had a falling out when he was younger, just passed away. So he goes to the funeral, they change the plans, and he drives to Cincinnati uh, instead to, you know, settle the estate with uh, this lawyer. Uh, during the the proceedings of the will, he finds out that the $3 million estate that was left behind by his, his passed away father was going to some unnamed trustee. Um, and all Charlie got out of it was this... Um, um, 19, 1949 Buick uh, that he, his father owned that he was never really allowed to drive. Uh, so being upset that he's not getting $3 million, thinking that he is the only heir to his father's estate, he decides to go investigate by kind of sweet-talking a bank teller or, or worker to give information of where this, this uh, $3 million is going to be held and who's going to be holding it. So it turns out that it's this, he tracks down that it's, it's at this mental institution um, where he finds out that he has an older brother whose name is, his name is Raymond, um, who has uh, savant syndrome, which is a, a form of autism. Uh, in the meeting of his brother, he decides that, or no, sorry, the doctor it informs him that the doctor is really in charge of the money. Uh, and he's been in charge for the past 20 years of taking care of Charlie's older brother, Raymond, that he was, that Charlie had no idea even existed. Nobody told him. So after he finds out about Raymond, he's, he's upset that not only did he not know who his brother was or nobody told him about it, but also the fact that the $3 million is being held by this doctor. And he wants, he wants half, he wants 1.5 million. And so he decides to get it is to kidnap light. I don't know what you call it, but he, he takes the brother <laughs> and goes to a motel and, and, you know, a little further out of town, calls the, the doctor and says that he's going to take Raymond back to Los Angeles where he's going to take them to court and hold him for, you know, half of the of the estates for ransom. Um, so the rest of the, the middle part of this, or beginning part of this movie is him, Charlie, dealing with Raymond's um, autism and just not understanding it. And, it, and he's... he's his frustration with their kind of relationship, uh, as well as Susanna, who is trying to get Charlie to do the right thing. And, and she gets kind of fed up with Charlie and all of his, his BS and his lies. And uh, she she leaves. And it's just then Charlie and Raymond trying to make their way across the country. Um, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs dealing because Charlie has no idea what he's doing. He's he's just self-centered and he doesn't he does not recognize um, Raymond's um, mental state or, or how Raymond deals with things. And so he's trying to get it his way, but Raymond, you know, he's he has to push back on Charlie. So through this process, Charlie tries to get a plane ticket to fly to Los Angeles, but Raymond won't go on airplanes because he has a he has a fear of flying. And Raymond's starting to show his ability as a savant is to have an impeccable recollection. Um, he's able to he's a mathematician, like he just his mind works uh at a, a genius level in certain areas and aspects of his life where he doesn't have the ability to recognize emotion or kind of norms for society. So Charlie's starting to pick up on this um, through some processes of like, like a, a, a waitress drops some, uh, a bunch of, uh, uh, what do you call those things? Uh, toothpicks on the ground. And he's able to know exactly how many are on the ground, 246 uh, or, he can tell you any year that an airplane crashed. That's for like the reason he didn't want to go on the flight. Um, so Charlie's trying to kind of start to pick up on this where they eventually get to the point uh, where it becomes apparent that 
Charlie, as a young boy, remembered having an imaginary friend called the Rain Man, and uh, through deciphering Raymond's uh, broken ability to speak and like tell memories, he finds out that as a three-year-old, Raymond still was living with him in their home with their father, and actually um, was his imaginary friend who was actually real. But he he left at three years old and was put in the mental institute because of an incident where there was a bathtub full of scalding hot water, um, and, and Raymond actually saved him uh, from getting too burnt from this, but the father was afraid that Raymond was going to be uh, a potential danger to Charlie, so that's why he put him in this institute. So that's like the first, I would say, one-third of the movie right there. Yeah, good good chunk to take in there. Um, I noticed the beginning, it felt a little clunky, especially um, with some of the cuts that they had. Did you guys yes. notice when they were talking and he's like saying, he's ta- she's on the couch. And I got he's- a lot of the room vibes from the way they cut uh, Susanna's uh, lines sometimes. That's what happens when you film during a writer's guild strike. Hmm. Oh, was yeah. it? Cause yeah, it was. Because the rest of the movie's fine. It's just like that first... 10 minutes is really clunky and weird. Yeah. I <laughs> I mean, uh, I think it was most noticeable for me at the start. At, at some point, either it improved or I settled in, but there was definitely, a, I, I definitely felt like well, from a technical perspective, this wasn't exactly a masterpiece. <laughs> no, no, not by any means. I just kept thinking that, that Susan, like as soon as I, I don't like I didn't watch this movie for years, but when Susan showed up, I I remembered that she's the same actress from uh, Hot Shots. Really? Yeah, she's like she's the girl that play she she plays the uh, the um mock what do you call that the funny version? Help me out here, boys. What's the what's the word for a comedy? Uh, yeah, she plays the parody character uh, uh from the uh, the lady from Top Gun. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Huh. It was supposed well, to be funny, not interesting, but yeah, we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly thought all, all of you guys were going to be like, oh, yeah. If, if that's all I'm bringing to this podcast, then I, I, my job's done. That was deep, Mike. <laughs> you did well, because there's even a Top Gun tie-in. Um, <laughs> wait, who? <laughs> because she played a character that was in Top Gun, who well, also the, was pa- Top wait, Gun's girlfriend. The parody one in, in Hot Shots. Yeah. Wait, who's in Rain Man in Top Gun? <laughs> Wait, who's on first? <laughs> oh, who's <no>. on first? <laughs> nice. Um, so I like, uh, I always like hearing uh, 80s, 90s music uh, or like intros um, or fuck, scores in, in these films. Like I, I miss that, you know, the, I don't know, I don't even know what they are. Are they like marimbas? Yeah, this like one was pretty synth- wacky. Synthesizer. <laughs> so this was Hans Zimmer, and I th- think this was his first Hollywood. No shit. Score. Yeah. This was Hans Zimmer. Wow, he this he was made Hans a- Zimmer. <laughs> he made a real big transition. <laughs> he really changed. Well, I mean, Hans huh. Zimmer has been all over the place, right? Like he's before he was just the Christopher Nolan music. You know, <laughs> he he took some twists and turns with his style. Yeah. That'd be a good prompt. Which Hans Zimmer soundtrack of modern day movies would you put onto an 80s movie soundtrack? 
I would take um, Rain Man. <laughs> well, no, I would take I would take um, I would take uh, Inception and put it on Rain Man. I was going to say The Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, like, you go on ahead. <laughs> <laughs> anytime, uh, anytime I see Tom Cruise with like a headset on, I just can't unsee Tropic Thunder. Tom Cruise. <laughs> I didn't realize Tom Cruise really had a type that he played in movies, but I'm starting to see a theme, especially in young Tom Cruise. (laughs) Slightly unhinged. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, I'm going to just come out and say it. I, watching these, have, I think Tom Cruise is a good actor. I've been really impressed. Yeah. He's stellar. He's very charismatic, at the least. I think the, 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 the norm is everybody likes Tom Cruise as an actor, but doesn't as a person. And I mean, we can bring up Dustin Hoffman's performance at any time, but wow. It was, you know, you always think like, oh yeah, he did a good job, but like, he's, he's the top. Like, as far, when you think about like movies that try to handle, because we ran into this like Sling Blade and other, where they, you have an actor trying to play someone that has like a disability or some sort of handicap. And it's such a fine line between like good acting and like offensive. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, (laughs) it, and he did such a good job because I mean, the scripts helps a lot too, but Dustin Hoffman didn't look like he, he looked like he was, you're walking Raymond. a fine line here. Yeah, you know, but the, I mean, that's the fine line that Dustin Hoffman did. Like he, <laughs> some would say it was an Academy Award worthy performance. Somewhere. We'll get to that towards the end, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I think I think this was really good in that um, it kind of defied the tropes. Yeah. Right. Yes. I mean, I, I mean, I think. Well, it also it, it kind of added to the tropes at the time. Like, so Tom dealing with Raymond was just i mean it was it was completely backwards of what the doctor said he should be doing and he was just kind of he obviously he didn't understand it he was treating raymond uh like in an appalling fashion for somebody who has autism yeah well i I mean tom cruise's character is just an enormous asshole in every way to start (laughs) right and i mean even at the start the the general arc of this movie is pretty clear right like this is a story about Tom Cruise being less of an asshole. Like that's that's <laughs> transparent from moment one. Um, Honestly, that's most of Tom Cruise's movies. Yeah, yeah, it's a real through line on his career here. <laughs> I'm, With, I'm trying to think here. Well, not not a few good men, but Top Gun, uh, Magnolia, Magnolia, Last yeah. Samurai, Last yeah. Samurai. What's the Top Gun but not Top Gun about racing cars? Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder. He always learns a lesson, though, and becomes a good guy by the end. You can be my wingman anytime. That's right. (laughs) Um, As far as Tom Cruise's character, that didn't make sense to me. Was Suzanne was just like she was like a sweetheart. Like she was very kind, very understanding. How the hell is she with Tom? Or sorry, Charlie. I was trying to see that too. It made no sense. I mean, so. From a like a mechanical perspective, she was there to be his conscience in the beginning, right? Yeah. But mm. from a character perspective, I don't understand why she'd hang out with him. Maybe she just really likes Lamborghinis. <laughs> well, it would lead me to believe that maybe they had he had been different, maybe when he was a little bit younger. I don't know. But she did 
break up with him. I don't know if I yeah, I did cover that. She so she when she left him, she was pretty much at the end of her rope and said that she was done. Um and then Tom starts to kind of humanize himself and figure out that he is being an asshole and then he eventually tries to kind of win her back. Yeah, she she also played the catalyst in, in that respect. It was the first of things he he lost. That's um, true, yeah. Due to Char, uh, you know, his shitty well, treatment of uh after 3 million dollars. He lost right. that first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he um, gained a friend. <laughs> he gained a brother. <laughs> Speaking, going back to the writing, like I, I don't know. It's it's weird to to discuss a you know a best picture uh, movie and say the writing was like ugh. Yeah. But yeah. Like, I remember one scene in particular. They were. Uh, it's when uh, Raymond's trying to cross the street, hmm. and he sees the "Don't Walk" sign, and he's just standing there. And, like, some redneck guy, like, you know, gets out and tells him to get out of the way. But, like, they didn't, like, it seemed like they didn't write lines for him because all he said was, like, hey, <laughs> hey, uh, hey, hey. I feel like <laughs> As he, like, Kenny walked Rogers around was him. just walking by the set. And they are like, hey, Kenny, you want to be in a movie? And threw him in. <laughs> yeah. Because you're I right. Mean, that guy had nothing to say. He's just like, weirdo. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a funny contrast because, you know, they portray uh, Raymond with all of his sort of, you know, ticks and, you know, phrases. He repeats a lot of phrases, you know, that, you know, for for as well as they did that and handled that, some of uh, Tom Cruise's and or, you know, some of Charlie's and Susanna's lines are kind of. I wouldn't call them bad, but they're just like serviceable, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tom Cruise like delivers them really well, so after a certain point I kind of zoned it out, but it's it's really nothing to write home about there. Dude, on the flip side though, when they start their road trip, what my, my favorite line in this movie and one I'm going to adopt is uh we're getting further away from Kmart. <laughs> getting further away <laughs> yeah well i i think uh unless there's anything else y'all want to cover i think we're starting to push into the uh the sort of road trip uh do you want to walk us through a bit more of the plot mike yeah i mean we already a lot of this movie was the road trip so we've already kind of talked a little bit about that so after they uh, raymond or and charlie kind of uh figure out that he was there when he was a young kid um Charlie starts to kind of change his tone and the way he starts to treat Raymond. He starts to kind of understand him a little bit better. He realizes that he has been an asshole. And so he contacts Suzanne and he apologizes and says that he wants to meet back up with her. Um, which is a strange thing uh, before I get into this. So so Suzanne left. She didn't have a car because she was riding with Charlie. And so she just, I don't know where she went. She probably, I'm assuming she got a taxi and probably went and got a flight to LA. But she meets back up with them back on their their highway journeys again like on their their road tripping was she like was she hitchhiking like was she walking down the road like where was she was she just waiting in the next town down have you ever played the game oregon trail <laughs> <laughs> she got dysentery in las vegas and it just so happens that's where they were when she had to stop so she just got to las vegas before them so so charlie finds <laughs> out that his lamborghinis were seized um, even though they passed the EPA uh, emissions or whatever, the creditors ended up catching up. They didn't allow him to get an extend on his loan. And so they, they now have the the, the Lamborghinis for $80,000 in debt. Um, this is where Charlie decides to use Raymond's 
uncanny ability to remember numbers to help him win on the blackjack tables in Las Vegas. So he goes pawn shop, sells his watch, has a little bit of money, and takes Charlie. They get all fancied up and get some suits. And if you've ever seen The Hangover, they just do that. And <laughs> win a bunch of money. Um, the, the the bouncers, or sorry, the, the pit bosses kind of catch on. That is crazy like how much money they're winning. And they end up making like $86,000. Um, $86,500. Um, and Charlie is, you know, he goes and buys back his watch, and they get a suite. Uh, and Raymond, not knowing what he's done, is just continuing to be Raymond, and Suzanne's back now. Um, and Charlie's starting to kind of really appreciate Raymond, at least for the fact that he got him back his money and he got out of debt. Uh, so their brother relationship kind of develops a little bit more, and Suzanne's back, and she has a little bit of um, an understanding with Raymond as well. And really, they just get to the point where they, they start to appreciate Raymond and who he actually is and not his autism, but the actual, you know, savant and, and good person that Raymond, um, is as a brother. Uh, go ahead. I think that's probably a good spot. Yeah. So that kind of takes us up to the, the moments before sort of the final scenes, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, and honestly, this felt a little weird to me. So like you mentioned, the kind of the big turning point for, Charlie and Raymond is when Charlie figures out that Raymond can like clean, clean out the house in Vegas. <laughs> and it's, I it just felt weird. Like I, I get that, like this is the turning point for the two characters and Charlie appreciates him more now, but it just felt so weird and transactional where it's like, Oh yeah. Now that you can bail out my business, I like you. And you know, there's, there's, yeah. there's some other elements they kind of humanize it a little more and especially as we get a little further forward, but it just kind of left a weird taste in my mouth. Right. Did, did Charlie actually change or was it just the money? Yeah. I think it was by design. He wasn't really, uh, I wouldn't say he was completely, uh, had a character change quite yet. Um, I think we're, we're on the cusp of it, but I would say later in the hotel is when, when that really, uh, his character really flips. What I wanted to bring up, though, is I, just, I remember this movie being a lot more about counting cards than, <laughs> than it actually was. I think the rest of the populace thinks of that, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go see the, the movie 21. <laughs> <laughs> there was also a scene, though, where he goes to like a, a, a Wheel of Fortune kind of thing, and uh, he miscalculates like what number it's going to land on. As Charlie puts three grand down on a bet, I, I'm confused to what the significance of that scene was. Yeah, I they go in and out because they demonstrate at the country doctor, the country bumpkin uh, doctor, who's like, "Well, I don't know what's wrong with him, but I heard that people are all messed up can count real well." And then he like does a bunch of bullshit, and they find out that he can do math in his head. Um, <laughs> this is why you're not the plot guy. <laughs> He goes, uh, he can't apply math because he goes like, how much is this worth? How much is that worth? And it's all the same. Well, it wasn't the math. It was, it was the, it was the concepts, right? So like he was doing, so he had, uh, he brought up a calculator and he had Raymond do some really hard math equations and Raymond was like nailing them. And then he said, what is like the value of a hundred dollars? And then at that point, Raymond can't, he doesn't know, you know, how to associate money with numbers. It's, yeah. it's a concept that just doesn't make sense. Right, and I think I—I I mean, I'm not—I have really no 
idea of how you know autism works but uh i thought that was a good scene because it it really shows the clash of his ability versus his perception and i thought like the that wheel of fortune scene was supposed to kind of reflect that but i can't see how you know because so my take on it is there's kind of two parts to this right where so one is that i mean the reason uh raymond is so attracted to the wheel of fortune game is because he watches wheel of fortune right and Mm -hmm. i wonder if it might be sort of a supposed to show something like be a, a moment for him where like he is now in the real world and like TV show logic doesn't apply, you know, cause the house cheats or whatever. Mm. I think it also is a vehicle mm. for Tom Cruise to sort of misplace his faith in his brother and forgive him anyway, a little bit like it, it's kind of a vehicle for uh, Charlie to get upset and then get over it. If that makes gotcha. sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, a good point. I, yeah. I think that's what its purpose is in the movie. It also shows Charlie being very greedy and abusing his brother's ability. Yeah. So, just par for the course for his character for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's true, though. That's a good turning point for him, too, because I think he, he gets mad for a very brief moment. It's like, that's $3,000, you know. Um, but then he apologizes almost immediately after. So, yeah, I could see that, Jack. Yeah, he yeah, I I think that's kind of what it's it's role in the movie is. I also had a hard time believing that Raymond wouldn't spill the beans that they were counting cards at the table cuz it he, took he did. like 13 <laughs> seconds with the hooker for him to just oh, yeah. say exactly what they were doing. Right. <laughs> but, so I guess they, why didn't the why didn't the bouncers like drag Raymond into the office and like question him? So at one point I, they they grabbed uh Charlie in the lobby. And they like take him behind this, the, this, you know, they take him back to the pit boss security room and they say that they, they're on to him and they know that he's been cheating somehow and he needs to like get out, get out of Las Vegas and never come back. Um, <laughs> I, I think the interns writing the movie were like, uh, that's a lot of, <laughs> to that'd be really, that'd to be do. heavy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> also a really unnecessary scene because nothing comes from that they take charlie into the back room they threaten him and they say you need to get out of here and then tom's like cool and just like they, they're they fine and they leave well the writers were like fuck we're stuck we're stuck in vegas if they keep making money <laughs> <laughs> why, why would he leave right um i guess to kind of talk about that for a second so after they win all their money they go sit at the bar to kind of you know, wind down for the night or whatever, right? And uh, Raymond stares at a prostitute because she has like a shiny necklace that he's interested in. She comes over to talk to him and Raymond gets the impression that they're going on a date. And so later on, they go up to their high roller suite and um, after some back and forth, you know, Charlie apologizes and inadvertently scares uh, Raymond. But then... uh, sort of has a change of heart and teaches him how to dance before his date, which is something that I think, like you mentioned, it's it's kind of one of the pivotal humanizing moments in this relationship. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But he scares well, Raymond's he scares letting him you. touch him too. Yeah. So then like the touching thing was one of Raymond's triggers, right? And so you're saying that he kind of scares Raymond? No, like after they learn to dance together, they, they practice dancing together. 
Charlie's like, oh, I'm going to give you a hug. And Raymond's like, yes. And then Charlie goes in for this, like, aggressive hug. Like, he's like, <laughs> yeah. he, he, like, shoulder checks this, like, Raymond. It's <laughs> like a fucking hug from a linebacker. Raymond and Suzanne both make a lot of aggressive maneuvers on Raymond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which brings me to the scene where I had the most awkwardness in this movie is the the elevator scene with Suzanne and Raymond. Yeah, that was very... And I, I get what it's for. I think it's more of how it was shot or something, because it's cute, right? She stops the elevator and is like, oh, well, let's go on a date. Dance with me. And you're know, like, oh, okay. And she's like, have you ever been kissed before? And I'm like, okay. And then it's like, Real weird. She's like, open your mouth. I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so I had the same note on out, that. Like, like it was, it was. I thought the, it was, was going to go a little bit further than it did, and I'm glad it didn't. But it had, it had it, some like scary undertones. Like this was going to be like a <laughs> like a negative part of the movie. Yeah. yeah, I I didn't leave that scene with good feelings. <laughs> yeah, I think you I think you know that Shane. Like the the scene itself was was adorable. But the yeah. execution was so bad. Like, yeah. open your mouth? What yeah. the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> right? Not like just kiss him on the lips. Just yeah. just a just a, like a fifth grade kiss type thing. Not like <laughs> I'm gonna shove my tongue down your throat. <laughs> you know, I think it would have been very wholesome as a dance. And like I, I was thinking, like, does Raymond really wanna kiss someone? Like he wants to dance. That's that's cool. That's yeah. fine. But I was waiting for it to be like he ever played seven minutes in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's <laughs> you ever spent a night in a Turkish prison. <laughs> Raymond won't go on airplanes. <laughs> that I feel like that the kiss was only added to set up the joke that comes twenty minutes later yeah. when. Charlie's like, what, you kissed Susanna? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, you knew it was going to come. I thought it was going to be a little more like, she's like, thanks for last night, Raymond, wink. And he's like, what yeah. What are you talking about? But, you know. That well, being said, though, re- regardless of what they had to work with, uh, I think uh, Dustin Hoffman acted that scene very well. Because it's, oh, it's, su- yeah. it's a super close-up of the two of them, and his mannerisms were, were like, very good. Just the way he does eye contact and how he like where his yeah, eyes yeah. are in every scene. Or, it's just Yeah, or lack thereof. Yeah. It's perfect. It's so awesome. something something I kinda of took away from earlier in the film that relates to this is we're talking about Raymond kinda of not I think Jackie said he didn't really understand what is happening and that makes it feel awkward. Um but earlier in the movie when they're talking to the what you refer to him as the Podunk Doctor? Um <laughs> They ask Raymond, I think it was that scene, correct me if I'm wrong, but they, I think they, they ask Raymond, do you think you're autistic? Might be later. But Raymond's response is no. So Raymond does not think that he is autistic. He is just, he just, you know, his brain works the way it does and he sees his own reality the way he sees his reality, but he doesn't think of himself as being an autistic person. So as far as like the inappropriateness of that scene, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think autism, as we all know, we don't know. We're not doctors. We're not, we can't talk with complete certainty but i don't think that was inappropriate in the sense because raymond's just seeing the reality of the world in a different way than we all are and i you know i mean he didn't he didn't resist that he seemed to be into it so i don't think it was that big of a weirdness it's not so much 
the scene itself. Like I, I like it. She's like, you know, you never kissed a girl. Like that's, it's cute. It's like, he's the whole thing is him and Tom Cruise. But you said like, it should be like a a fifth grade kiss. And I think that's the point I'm trying to make is that Raymond is not a fifth graders brain, right? He just doesn't think the way that normal people, or I should say majority of people do. So it's, he, you know, he maybe he, he does want that kind of stuff. He doesn't think as a five year old. He's just different. Well, and I, that's and that's kind know, of that what Charlie figures kinda, out. That almost kind of takes us into sort of the 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 big question from the the final scenes of the film. So why don't we why don't we just hop into it there and kind of talk through the remaining events of the film and then come back to this. So they they eventually make it back to Los Angeles and uh, Doctor Burner. Um, who is in charge of the mental institute and also the estate, uh, comes to Las Vegas to settle this in court. Uh, but before they go to court, Dr. Burner meets with Charlie and offers them $250,000 just to walk away and leave Raymond in his care. And, you know, so Charlie refuses the money and says that the week he's been spending with Raymond has changed the way that he's thought about this. He now realizes that his brother is more important to him than the money is. And he wants to actually get custody of Raymond and stay with Raymond or keep Raymond with him in LA. Um, they go to uh, another doctor who's going to be the, who's going, the court is going to use this other doctor as the um, kind of the, the, the uh, professional who's going to make a determining call on this. And this doctor in questioning Raymond and Charlie uh, comes to the conclusion that the best thing for Raymond would be for him to go back to uh, this this institute in Ohio. And uh, in the back and forth, Charlie kind of realizes this is true, that he can't really take care of Raymond. Earlier in the morning before the hearing, um, Raymond had woken up and tried to make waffles in a toaster oven and it set off the fire alarm, causing him to have issues. And the doctor brings up how many, like, how many times has there been an outburst? And it's been uh, in the past week, a couple times. And it's, it's obvious that Charlie is not really capable of taking care of Raymond. Um, even though Charlie is saying that he, he can understand Raymond and they're not giving Raymond, uh, the, the, their understanding of what Raymond or who Raymond is, is incorrect. And that there's, there's more going on in Raymond's head than they're giving him credit for. Um, regardless, Raymond goes back with Dr. Burner and they have a, a farewell at the end there as Raymond enters, or goes onto the Amtrak to take a train back. And, uh, Charlie says that he's going to be visiting him in, you know, two weeks and he is, Pursuing his relationship with his brother, regardless of the uh, the three thousand three million dollar estate. Were, were you going to detail of the uh, the interaction with the doctor, like some of the questions and stuff? Sure. So, I, the first questions that the doctor starts to ask Raymond uh, is if Raymond wants to stay with Charlie, and Raymond eventually responds yes, and then he asks him in repeating these questions over and over again in different ways still getting the same response that Raymond wants to stay in Los Angeles with Charlie's. He changes the wording of it and says, do you want to go back to this um, estate and back to your home? And, you know, Raymond responds exactly the same and says yes. And then he starts to go back and forth and flip the questions around. So it is apparent that on paper and in front of court, it's Raymond is going to just be shown as just responding. Yes. No matter what the question is, Um, even though, 
from you know Charlie's perspective and the doctor's perspective, they understand that his ability to communicate properly has always been an issue of his. In fact, this went back to the very beginning of the film, well, the beginning of the film, halfway through the film, when they were discussing, or when Charlie finds out that Raymond uh, was there during the uh, the scalding hot water bath, that the interpretation was it was Raymond's fault that Charlie almost got hurt in the bath, but Charlie finds out by talking with Raymond and, and kind of understanding Raymond more than other people that it wasn't Raymond. Raymond actually saved Charlie in that situation. So it's it's been this ongoing theme that these doctors and these professionals misinterpret Raymond just as Miss, you know Raymond can't interpret the world. And Charlie is starting to kind of be able to see how Raymond thinks and, and is able to understand Raymond better than even the professionals because of his brotherly love with him, an actual connection of family, um, where an institute wants to do the best for Raymond on paper, where Charlie wants to do the best for Raven, Raymond as a brother. Do you guys agree with that assessment, you think? My yeah. take is that I, and this is one area where I really respected the conclusion of this movie, is that I, I liked how it became very clear that none of those people were wrong, you know, in a, in a certain, you know, in a in their assessment, right? Like, you know, Charlie made progress and connected with Raymond in totally new ways. And Raymond, you know, as they parted was making jokes and had humor and understood jokes. And, but at the same time, like Charlie was also definitely not at all equipped to help his brother. Right. And one thing I appreciated was that, um, none of these people were really like villainous in intent, except for Charlie at the start. Um, they all wanted the best for Raymond based on what they interpreted. And the movie didn't really kind of cut some corners to offer like a really neat and tidy Disney ending, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think we see the most absolute transformation of Charlie, uh, in this interaction because the old Charlie would have been deceptive to get what he wanted which was, you know, custody of uh, of Raymond, right? Like, he wouldn't have outright said, like, oh, no, he would have said, like, there's no, there have been no issues, like, he's had no outbursts, you know, that type of shit. Uh-huh. But by the end of it, he realizes he's not going to win this case, but is still, like, supportive for Raymond's sake. I think that was that was kind of a little powerful undertone through this scene. Yeah, and, you know, honestly, I think... Uh, Charlie changed over the course of this scene. I think, um, you know, they kind of allude to it at a few points, but Charlie has, it sounds like a fairly strong legal case, regardless of what the doctors say and could, you know, definitely drag it out in court. Sure. Well, all the questions, uh, this is more going to what you asked about what the questions asked. They all, the ones that when the doctor was asking questions to Charlie were all very uh, led, right? They, They definitely were, what did you do? And then it was obvious that like he went to Vegas. It's like, all right, well, there's there's a knock. Um, what else did you do? I uh, talked to a stripper. All right, there's another one. So at the end of this, like like you said, Charlie's going to realize it's it's a it's not going to win. Like he's going to lose. Well, but- I don't even think Charlie decided that he wasn't going to win. I think Charlie decided that it was better for Raymond. And I think this is part of the transformation of Charlie because you know part of it too is does Charlie want to have his brother in his life for his brother's sake, or does he want it for his sake? Right. See, I because I didn't get that. I did not get that, that Charlie had this big turning point that he suddenly realized that, he, you know, 
Raymond gets kind of freaked out and he can see that Raymond's about to lose it. And so he says, all right, no more questions. We're not going to do that anymore for Raymond's sake. But I think that Charlie was throughout the entire interaction with the doctor. He's getting more and more frustrated, kept arguing back and was pulling his normal Charlie BS where he was he kept saying that I'm going to lose. You guys have already decided. You already decided before we got here. Yeah, but I think um, I think it's because he it wasn't ends about it the money for, this time, though. Yeah, it, it, he ends it for the benefit of Raymond. I think well, that's I think that's Charlie's, that's what I'm thinking. It wasn't the money anymore, but it still was a self centered reason. He just wants Raymond. Like he's Charlie's uh, self centered is wanting. To it's live a better with your reason brother. than money, but it's still self centered. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I, I think I I agree. He comes into that room with that perspective that he is. He wants his brother for himself, and by listening to Raymond, he decides that what I want isn't, you know, good for Raymond. Well, like, that that whole Doctor scene kind of just, like, solidifies the thesis of this entire movie, which is, so, Raymond grew to a certain point being in the Institute because he was allowed to just do what he does. No one challenged him there. so. If he needed his books, his books were there. If it was this, it was that. Same with Charlie in his life. He just was more aggressive and lived his life the way he did. But he didn't have anyone pushing back until they met each other. And through that constant friction, they both became better. So like Raymond learned how to communicate more. He had experiences that the Institute would have never allowed because they're, you know, dangerous. He's telling jokes. Yeah. And he, he becomes more human. Or like more able to communicate. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow! No, uh, he becomes much better at communicating and and seeing that there's nuance and challenging himself because Tom, well, Charlie won't let him walk away from scenarios a lot of the times. He has to face these things that make him nervous. Just like Charlie can't just beat Raymond because he's. He is a. He reaches a point too, where you're not going to beat him. So they their friction grew each other, and that just showed in the end. Well, I guess my question is: Was it the situations that Charlie dragged Raven into that he grew from, or was it just from getting to know Charlie? Little call me, little call B. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think as far as what Shane is saying, and it's a really good point, is that. These doctors are treating Raymond like like a patient. They're not allowing him to live life even they're not seeing as far as them being experts, they're not seeing the fact that Raymond still has his own life to live. And you can't just coddle people even if they have a disability. So that's a really good point. I think it, it's <laughs> yeah, it's both. Um also that the movie doesn't really address. I thought it was trying to lay that undertone, but Dr. Burner has three million dollars if Raymond <laughs> stays with him. So is there not a conflict <laughs> of interest here? Like, <laughs> he's like, I know what's best for Raymond, and I, it's my money. <laughs> it's not your money, my friend. Like, yeah, why wouldn't like, he? Uh, why wouldn't he at the point where he writes him a two hundred fifty thousand dollars check? Why wouldn't he just give them the, him the one point five mil? Like, wouldn't that be more meaningful? Like, here it is. This is what you wanted, right? This is what you originally wanted. And then, yeah, and then Charlie Dr. could have been like, I don't want it anymore. Instead of that's being what like, I thought. yeah, that's, yeah, that's I thought a Dr. good point. Burner was going to be like, hey, here's your freaking money. Let's do what's best for Raymond. But Burner's like, 
I'll give you a third. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you greedy. Oh my fuck. god, is Burner the bad guy? <laughs> I saw him as the bad guy. Take it or leave it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. That would have bred a much more significant conflict if it was actually the money that he was initially because that's like the the character arc right like the relapse mm-hmm. if you will yeah but i guess it you know it never came because it was this relative chump change right and uh, he could have played it off charlie had... could have not grown at all and just been like i w- i wanted 1.5 yeah yeah that's a or, that's yeah. a good uh that's a good point mike you know yeah. i mean his his he could have also just Left the hundred and fifty thousand or whatever on the table because he thought he was going to win three million, right? Right. Uh-huh. I, and you know, I, as as much as I argue about some of the points here, I I I do feel like there were sort of seams that were visible in the movie, if that makes sense, right? Like the plot overall makes sense. the The story is heartwarming, but you know, still there are kind of you you can see like the loose threads in it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's the skeleton was laid by A level writers and then it was filled in by, by scabs. <laughs> right, yeah, like so they gotta get kicked out of Vegas because otherwise why would they leave Vegas, right? <laughs> He's so, afraid of plane travel but not trains and automobiles, which kill people too. But <laughs> <laughs> but they did have to get off the interstate, so yeah. Uh, okay. So they um the the other thing I think that that kind of adds to these points is the one of the underlying conflicts through the whole film is uh Charlie's daddy issues mm-hmm. and at, by the end of his interaction his whole 6 days with uh Raymond uh there there is a scene where he's like yeah you know like it was probably my fault that I didn't want to reconcile with him. He probably tried to reach out, and I, you know, he was very self-reflexive in that moment, uh, showing a, a more real transformation. Yeah. yeah, I also like his dad didn't tell his youngest son about his older brother. Yeah, why? Like but, there was no, there's no, up. <laughs> there's no, there's no reason for him to not have done that. Like to, yeah, to form their relationship, he dangles three million dollars as bait. To go hang out with his brother? Like, like, why wouldn't you allow them to grow up with each other so they actually have a concrete? It's like, no, get this. We're gonna wait twenty years. I'm gonna give three million. I'm gonna give all my money to a doctor, right? And, and get this, they're gonna be best friends because they're gonna we're gonna come to, together. We're <laughs> <laughs> gonna leave a series of cryptic clues. I have, I have, I have more of a theory. I bet you Burner was con- like brainwashing the dad and being like, no, 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 no. You need to keep Raymond here. Right? Oh man! Don't tell need- your other kid. Uh, we need psychological thriller rain man <laughs> <laughs> so this is my my thesis right now too um so dustin hoffman i think between him and tom cruise is did have the better performance right yeah i mean mm-hmm. he he won an oscar for it um but honestly i think tom cruise is the like this movie could not have happened with like Danny, you could have made <laughs> You could have made a, a reasonably okay movie with someone who did not play that role as well as Dustin Hoffman, but this movie would have been utterly terrible without the way Tom Cruise played it because, or at least that character is more important in that, you know, for as much as we talk about, you know, uh, Raymond's growth, 
as a character, he's he's mostly static in a sense that his responsibility in this movie is to be something for all of the other characters to react to. True. His growth, his growth is much more complicated to see. Well, I should say, not, mm-hmm. not much more difficult to see compared to yeah. to, uh, Charlie's. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's not like well, he does grow. That's not what this movie is about. It's about Charlie. I would agree. I, I mean, like that. That's what makes this movie good. Is that it's not. I, I don't know. Does that make sense well, so far? Yeah, am, it I, does. am I taking I, crazy pills? No, no. I mean, Charlie is obviously the main character. He's he's the first one that we start with, and he's the one that had you know the big. Um, change of you know heart by the end of it. I want to know what happened to those four Lamborghinis. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? You just can't import Lamborghinis. He's like, oh, they got a, the, the carburetors. Got a, are there no carbureted cars anymore? <laughs> well, this is the eighties. This the the whole all of them thing have with carburetors. That, I was like, are they stolen? Like what? No, no, we all know that EPA is a fucking monstrosity. Yeah. So it's 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 the gray market, which means they're legal they're legally brought into the country. However, they don't have the proper that company that's bringing them in doesn't have the proper form set up mm. in order to get through the EPA quickly. So in well, other words, small businesses are going to hit with uh, tr- like fines and and it's things they have to pay, paperwork they have to go through. Um Yeah, I think that was a that, that was like the the thing, right? They it wasn't that he, they weren't going to pass the EPA. It was that it took so long that he uh, fucking he, defaulted he, he on his loan. Yeah, he made a deal him. he couldn't commit. He couldn't. He couldn't um, provide. Right. Yeah. Well, I thought he needed to modify them a little bit. Um, we yeah, can cover this in our next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I want to backtrack a little bit. I thought a lot of the antagonisms that were in the film were very cheap and easily solvable. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we see like kind of minor quote bad guys throughout like the cop during the, the car accident, <laughs> you know, he's like, uh, Raymond's just walking off on this highway and, uh, Charlie gets out to get him and, and the cop is like, get back in your vehicle. Like all it would have <laughs> taken was like, Hey, uh, my brother is handicapped and I need to, you right. know, he's going to yeah. hurt himself. No cop would have been like, no, you kept back in the vehicle. It's like everybody in this film, like nobody understood or even had any kind of recollection of what the hell was happening with Raymond. Yeah. Like the, 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 the traffic light scene, the cop scene, um, all of it, the hooker scene, like nobody. Yep. Like, like I get it. They And they even set the groundwork with the, uh, the country doctors oh. yeah. <laughs> where, where they were like, I, autism, I've never heard of that. Are you artistic? It's like, yeah. it's like oh we get God. it. Maybe it wasn't, you know, understood at the time uh, and whatever, but it's still like, hey, this, he, he's, you know, I need he's to right help here. him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel like the doctors would have been like, oh, he's handicapped. I see. I mean, he may not know the exact definition, but I feel like if you have a PhD or a MD in freaking 1988, you still understand mental deficits. Like... <laughs> This movie did a pretty good job, though, of, of keeping that tension high, though, right? Because like throughout this, like nothing terrible ever happened. Like there was some loans that got missed and some money debts, but really, like no no kneecaps were broken. Raymond never got kidnapped by the cartel. Like it was just it wasn't like it wasn't <laughs> Mike, hardcore. Mike, 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 what movie did you want this to be? I, I'm just okay. saying, <laughs> I want to see Mike's movie. <laughs> my my, I just so 
what I mean is, uh, it, it was good at setting a level of suspense, but still being, like you said, a heartwarming, almost Disney kind of ending where it like nothing horrible happened, but it definitely was a growing, uh, but, it, but it did make me feel it a couple times. Like when he's standing in front of the traffic like out there, I thought like, I thought the, the hick was going to push him down or something like something more hardcore than what ended mm-hmm. up actually happening. I, I am just trying to like envision these alternate movies that Mike has like sort of described where <laughs> Dr. Bruner is like has like manipulated and gaslit <laughs> his dad to leave him the money and like the mob is after Tom Cruise for like trying to break his kneecaps and <laughs> went straight from a smoke alarm going off to a cartel kidnapping. <laughs> Right, like is this John Wick or Hitchcock or get my brother back? I don't know. His family. I guess I have a different level of expectations for films. So this kind of goes to June and Mike's point on that. So with with June, I also remember because I saw this movie way way back. I I remember just Vegas, basically. So I thought there was a lot of time in Vegas. And I kept mixing the movie 21 with this movie. So I was waiting for when the pit boss was going to take him out back and beat the shit out of him. That's and what like, I'm saying. I believe Vegas. I, th- I thought I remembered him beating them both up. And you're like, oh, <laughs> my God. But that was the movie 21 with, I think, Kevin Spacey. But that's true. Yeah, diff- different movie. I Yeah, and I'm on the fence of whether that would have been better or not. Is if there was some kind of real... Like, you know, kind of like what Mike's saying. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it was, it, I liked how it was. I, I don't think they needed that. They did a re- they already did a good job of making me feel suspense. I guess in what you guys are calling me out on is my weird interpretation or expectation that something horrible <laughs> is going to happen. But I'm, not saying it's your, I'm not saying it's your expectation. I'm just saying I want to know what this movie is. <laughs> but, Robot jocks. I, I think <laughs> I think they could have, like, in the freaking negotiations, if Tom Cruise would have just said, like, well, it just so happens if you get Raymond, you get $3 million as well. Or, like, I feel like a lot of the background characters needed just a dab of paint, just a little bit of script, like Vern. Vern is referenced a lot. And we get it that Vern is his caretaker, right? He's his main man, Vern. Yeah. But if you weren't like explicitly paying attention to the movie, you might not fully get that. I so feel you're saying like, like when uh, when at the very end when um, Raymond starts calling Charlie my main man, his main man, yeah. Like I feel like you needed just a little more with Vern to be like, hey, it took me like twelve years to have him call me my main man. That means like you're his brother, or something. you know. Just just give Vern like three more lines i feel bad for burn so going on to that like so while he's there meeting them and they're in the room at the very beginning uh the (laughs) suzanne like touches raymond and raymond doesn't freak out and burn's like whoa like it took me like eight years before i could even touch uh raymond and then like after a (laughs) week maybe you're just a jerk Vern. maybe raymond's (laughs) calling charlie my main man like Vern's out Yeah, right? Meanwhile, like, Tom Cruise is in there burning books and throwing stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah, this movie, if I could just sum it up, it's, like, a great movie for great, great bones and really good acting from Tom Cruise, but some real shoddy writing in the middle, like the the fluff and the... Yeah, you know... I, I don't know if I'd call it shoddy, but it's just it 
just doesn't come together as well as it could have. Yeah. A lot of road tripping. There's a lot of road tripping. A lot of road tripping. Big road trip. Big. <laughs> there's just so much that was just sort of contrived or just like... So, I mean, there are movies where it feels like the the characters are doing things because they're living beings making sometimes bad decisions or just like it, it's moving because of the characters. And there's other movies that it feels like things are being moved around on a chessboard in order to get the pieces in the right place for the finale you know like and suzanne not knowing like can't connect the dots that she's partaking in a kidnapping yeah yeah like <laughs> it's a car by the gate and keep it running why it's... just do it <laughs> yeah and it, like i mean and with raymond not wanting to fly like yeah it's plausible but it's also very clearly just there so that he has a reason they have a reason to go on a road trip and they get off the freeway so they have a reason to take more time there's a lot of that kind of stuff where stuff happens just so something else can happen i did like i did watch i did like watching valeria try to stumble through lines that you could obviously tell that she couldn't remember because she yeah, well, like we said before, the the cutting did not really help her. Like they oh, would, she got screwed on the cutting room floor because like it's it got better. Like I feel like they saved the good stuff and did her some service towards the end. But yeah, that beginning, it was like he would say something and like as he's finishing the sentence, it would be like, "But why are you doing that?" And like, and it would cut back, and it's like it was it was <laughs> like a weird YouTube compilation. Or yeah, it's it's like one of those YouTube videos where they cut out all of the empty space, and like things yeah. are cut immediately after a sentence finishes. Anyway, well, anything else y'all want to say about the movie before we kind of just talk some some uh, bits and bobs and trivia and box office I, stuff? I got one more thing that might segue us in a little bit, I, I, and this is a very bold like meta assumption you know it's I, none of this is grounded in fact really but um well there is one fact it's that ronald bass the one of the writers uh delivered his rough cut of the script uh right before the strike started and like mm-hmm. was not there during any of the filming so i feel like a lot of uh, uh, these kind of issues could potentially have been fixed by the writer actually fucking being there be like, no, that's like not what I meant. That normally helps. You know? <laughs> Dr. That, Burner that, was a villain. <laughs> like that was like that was the kind of feel that I got that it was like at a baseline level very good, but a lot of nuances were missed. Uh it, it specifically with the writing itself. Yeah, it feels like a really well shot rough draft. Yep. Yeah, I, I could see that. For you know, really good first well, pass. Well acted, yeah. Not really shot, but yeah i I know what you mean so while we're talking about the well yeah so like you mentioned june this happened in the middle this was filmed in the middle of a writer strike incidentally this was filmed more or less sequentially kind of in the order of the road trip a lot of stuff was shot on location it's kind of a neat little tidbit um and then as far as box office goes so this was this was huge um it made like $354 $354 million worldwide on a budget of $25 million, so just enormous. Ooh. Wow. Tom Cruise um, was fire then. That was like primetime cruise. Oh, yeah. And uh, super well-received. Critics love it. Um, it won four Academy Awards, uh, including Best Picture 
where it beat out The Accidental Tourist, Dangerous Liaisons, Mississippi Burning, and Working Girl. Dustin Hoffman won Best huh. Actor, as we mentioned. He actually beat out Tom Hanks uh, in Big. Oh, huh. that's big. And then it actually won Best Screenplay. Ir- yeah, ironically. <laughs> yeah, that's that's bad. And um, Barry Levinson won Best Director. And uh, he actually played the uh, the psychologist in the final scene. So a little uh, director cameo there. And yeah, so this was a Hans Zimmer score. Uh, I think his first uh, Hollywood score, if I remember correctly. So we didn't really talk about this, but it was kind of weird. Uh, maybe we did lots of marimbas and weird stuff. Did reduce. Yeah, it was his uh, <laughs> his first Hollywood film. Yeah, synthesizers and steel drums. It wasn't really like notable. I would say, I'd say it was pretty par for an '80s movie. Yeah, yeah. I, felt, I just it's got about '80s, 80s vibes. Is, yeah, yeah, and it's like the nostalgia. That's like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, was, I actually but, kind of enjoyed it. It's yeah. kind of weird though, because like that '80s style adds suspense where it's not necessary. Like he's just getting on a train. And it's like, what the hell? Yeah, dude. Every '80s movie soundtrack sounds like a John Woo like Hong Kong fucking action thriller. It's like, I'll see you next week. Okay, bye. And instead of this rising score and like a song, it's just like, oh my god. Like, if you think about it, like, Rain Man and Commando had similar scores. (laughs) (laughs) Commando? It does sound like the Commando soundtrack. All right. But anyway, so now it's the point where we impose our own order on the list and rank this movie among the other movies we've seen. Uh, So, of the 31 movies we've seen now, where do you put it, June? Uh, well, I would say it's above Ratatouille. Um, so this is, I don't know, it's kind of tough. I, I, I remember enjoying this a lot more in the past. Uh, it seemed a lot less, I don't know, unde- underdeveloped at the time. Uh, I still think I put it at number 13 between Blood Diamond and Kind Hearts and Coronets. Yeah. Did we like Kind Hearts and Coronets? It's about halfway. Apparently I think it I was did. all middle for us, yeah. I'm looking at my list and I'm going, wait, I like that movie more than the other? Like, I'm already doing the rose-colored glasses on these things. <laughs> Jesus. Well, where do you put it, Shane? I don't know, because I didn't remember liking Ratatouille more than the King's Speech. <laughs> 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 but apparently, I did. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to be in the same place as June. Where I'm right under Blood Diamond and just above Kind Hearts and Coronets at 11. I see. I enjoyed it. Um, Yeah, definitely, especially just watching all these movies now, you just kind of critique more. But um, yeah, it could have been a lot better, I think, if they spent a little more time cooking it. But solid movie, yeah. What do you think, Mike? I mean, I got to follow suit now, so I'm going to put it between Blood Diamond and Kind Hearts and Coronets <laughs> at number 13. It's all going between those just at different parts of the list. I honestly, I didn't even want to put it there, but that's where it is. <laughs> Mike's list is the most pure list. <laughs> how, did, how did all three of you have Blood Diamond and Kind Hearts and Coronets adjacent? <laughs> 
we all agree that they are just one is better than the other. <laughs> we just disagree slightly. Where they should be. <laughs> no, you all. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess I was. I didn't intend to follow suit, but now that I'm looking at it. So I had four movies between Blood Diamond and Kind Hearts and Coronets. <laughs> and now I have five, as I put it at number 16, just in the realm of movies that are good, but definitely not great. So just behind Dances with Wolves and just good ahead way. of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Good um, way to sum it up. This was a movie. Yes. Yeah. This was a, this was of a movie. all the movies I've seen, this was one. <laughs> No, I mean, and we we agree it's just worse than Blood Diamond, but just better than Kind Hearts and Cornets. <laughs> I, I wonder at some point if we need to like try and just hash out a master list and just oh. fight it out for seven I was gonna, hours. I was gonna wait to uh, point values to each of these and try to do an aggregate, but yeah. I, I, I fear for what Mike's list will do to that. <laughs> Mike gets half points. <laughs> uh, I think we can rest safe knowing the last picture show will still be the worst. <laughs> All right. Well, final verdict. Do you recommend watching it, June? I do. I think it's been cemented in in our popular culture. Um, it's it's one of those you have to see to get the references and, and so forth. Chain? Yep. And then watch People's Court. <laughs> Mike? Yeah, I agree with June. He summed it up real well. Um, I disagree with June. I don't think you need to watch this movie to get the references, but it's still worth watching. <laughs> Let me tell you, if you don't watch this movie, you will think it's completely about gambling. <laughs> You'll just think you were referencing The Hangover the entire time. Well, I mean, that's the only thing that gets referenced, so. It's true. All well, right, well, that's been uh, week 31 of a uh, working title in the books. It only took us a year and a half, two years to get to week 31, but here we are. We'll, we'll see by the time when, when this releases. <laughs> I, I think However, next quote-unquote week's movie is 1959's Anatomy of a Murder. Hmm. Going back to the hmm. 50s. Going back, baby. And then back further to The Wizard of Oz after that. Ugh, yeah. But then we should hit a real hot streak with JFK and Jaws and Blade Runner and The Avengers. Oh, shit. All right. Blade Runner's coming up. Oh. Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been a great one, folks. I look forward to you listening to us ramble next time.